genre. Hello, members of the Charles the Manatee fan club. Welcome to Beyond Geek by Night, where we will be discussing each episode of Geek by Night leading up to the series finale. On today's episode, we will be discussing the second story arc of Geek by Night, Status Quo. So set your smarty talkies to silent, check the origin particles valve, lock the blue door, and let's get ready to use our brain stuff. Because we're about to go beyond Geek by Night, I'm your host, Matt Bennett. And here is our panel. I'm joined today by creator and executive producer, Scott Corelli. Hello. Executive producer and writer, Nick Jimenez. Hey, Matt. Thanks for doing this. Naomi Wong, who voices Lorelai Swift. Hello. And Jay Malone, who voices Victor Conrad. Hi there. So in this story arc, our heroes open up their comic shop, the aptly named Underdog Comics, and begin a rivalry with Max Carmichael's Monopoly Comics. Lorelai Swift and Victor Conrad make their first appearances. Lorelai as the genius trillionaire owner of Swift Industries, and Victor, a combat veteran tasked by Lorelai with training a group of superpowered humans. Through a series of flashbacks, we see what happened in Lorelai's lab when the origin particles were scattered across McKinney City, thus revealing the origin of our hero's origin story. When Victor consumes a potent sample of the catalyst, he is affected by the origin particles to the point of becoming fully digitized. Treated as a virus by the grid, he is absorbed. Thankfully, the underdogs, with Lorelai's help, enter the grid's digital domain and encourage Victor to break free. Collateral damage ensues, and it is revealed that, in pure Lorelai fashion, her secret superhero lab lies just beneath Underdog Comics, where our heroes intend to continue maintaining their secret identities. To return the favor to the underdogs for saving his life, Victor deletes Monopoly Comics' website. Thanks, Victor, you handsome digital son of a bitch. Now, <laughs> we have to begin with a question that everybody wants to know. Nick, what is your favorite moment of this episode, and why is it the Chipmunk song? Ah. <laughs> Interesting choice. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a really big fan of that scene of them walking up to... There's actually a lot of a lot of moments in this that I'm I'm still pretty proud of. A lot of it having to do with just the uh, the power of the ensemble and just kind of how we we really did luck out with these with these actors. Uh, you know, like I, I just anytime we get like their back and forth, I'm always really uh, I'm, I'm still pretty chuffed about how it it really feels like uh, like a group of friends just kind of enjoying each other's company, which I think is. Uh, one of the main secret sauces of the show. I'm also a really big fan of um, when they go into the grid and they're like, and Gibson does his little like Ghostbusters, like, okay, that's bad. Thank, important safety did. Thanks, Lorelai. I just, I'm like, oh, like, because I know Scott and I and, and Cassandra and I, we're, we're, we're always trying to like catch certain vibes, you know? And we really wanted this to feel like a, like a popcorn summer techno thriller uh, and anytime you can you can get those beats, I'm like, oh, we did it. That's that's fun. This is really this is a fun listen. <laughs> so I want to start out just going around the circle. Um, you know, things are really weird in the world right now, and I thought we kind of start out a little loose. And I want to hear what everybody's coronavirus pastime has been the past <laughs> few weeks, being all <laughs> locked up and everything. Here, I, I for one have been playing a lot of Animal Crossing, uh, but I would like to hear from everybody else, kind of how they're. What what they're up to the last few weeks? I've been trying to track down a Nintendo Switch. Uh, hasn't hasn't worked <laughs> out yet. <laughs> uh, my, Jay, what about you? My normal hasn't really changed. I I work from home, so I've been actually working a little bit more just because there's been so much stuff going on. the uh, The field I'm in deals with um, uh, academic literature, so new COVID-19 research is coming out. We need to make sure that people can get their academic journals. So I've actually been busier. My <laughs> pastime has sucked. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I have been playing a lot of Animal Crossing too. And if anyone wants to visit Enchilada, uh, I will give you my friend code. <laughs> uh, Naomi, what about you? Um, so, so someone present may have picked the worst time in the world to move cities um, by herself to London, um, <laughs> the beginning of this month, right before lockdown. So I've been in an empty, um, barely decorated any at all house, um, mostly singing and 
playing Spider-Man on Twitch because, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds nice. <laughs> There's worse yeah, uh, ways to to fill your time than play Spider-Man. Yeah. I really like. I probably played uh, that game like three times all the way through. I think <laughs> I only just I got a PS4, so. <laughs> uh, I liked your uh, your Hamilton video you did uh, last week. That was really good. Oh, thank you. Mm. I actually just found out that because um, it was put into the there was like a um, what's the word a mashup of different people's versions, and mm-hmm. they actually showed it on Good Morning America yesterday, which I didn't know. Oh wow! <laughs> I was That's like, really cool. all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. <laughs> Uh, Nick, what about you? What have you been doing? Um, I've been I've been very very lucky. I I've been able to work from home. Uh, you know, in the state of California, I uh, I I'm 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 lucky to still have uh, an occupation. So I've been uh, actually yearning for free time, which I'm I'm in in and of itself I'm grateful for. Uh, that it's not just like this endless void of of of, of free time. But uh, when I do have it, I've been I've been reading a lot. I've been making my way through Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman. Of fun, Scott's favorite thing in the world, poetry. I've uh, <laughs> I've been reading, uh, but to, to balance it out, I've been. Re- I, I just got through this Doctor Who novelization of the episode Rose, written by Russell T. Davies, which mm. was a lot of fun. He's a, he's a really good writer, that Russell T. Davies, and uh, I just uh, been watching some TV here and there. Uh, finally finished Love on Netflix. Mm. And uh, I'm in the middle of this really uh, good book right now, uh, ap- aptly titled How to Be Alone by Lane Moore, which uh, I would highly recommend. It's really good so far. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, just dive right in. Uh, this first one's going to be for Scott and Nick. So the story arc reboot is really the pilot of sorts for Geek by Night. There's a lot of heavy lifting there with like introducing characters in the world <laughs> and sort of the audible vocabulary established in the series. But in this episode, you only have two major character introductions and a lot more room to tell a fully fleshed, plot-driven story. So I guess my question is, uh, did you have specific ideas for stories beyond Reboot when you were working on that first story arc? Or is it like, okay, Reboot is done, now let's figure out what happens next? Uh, If I remember correctly, we had pre-planned all of the episodes uh, of of the first season. Um before even starting reboot uh i think i think we we sort of outlined reboot and then kind of set it aside and then looked at the rest of the season um and what that would be and uh the way that we sort of uh structured season one if i remember correctly was that um we wanted to kind of in use each individual episodes to be like a particular character story as far as like the a plot and then there'd be like a b plot and a c plot that were you know nebulous but each episode was sort of focused around a particular character so this was victor's episode um and then you know as you go along you have like a gwen episode a lorelei episode a gibson episode a simon episode a mindy episode and the idea was that by the time you get to the end of the season everyone knows these characters inside and out so that when we do just a full ensemble episode it doesn't feel like anyone is getting short shift sure so the the episode is somewhat non-linear or at least utilizes a parallel flashback structure and this type of episode structure is really commonplace in television nowadays but they get extra help with the visual medium so what what challenges did you run into in writing this this story arc in telling the non-linear story in a fully audible medium nick you want to field this one uh i don't remember i i I remember seeing it more as a uh, as a gift than uh than a challenge. I mean, when, when we came up with the idea of Victor keeping these audio logs, as we all do, uh, we, we kind of saw it as like a, uh, I don't know. I like the character of Victor because he's such a key change. He's, he, he, he's, he's, he's on such a different rhythm than the other underdogs. So the idea of having these audio logs juxtaposed with his, uh, you know, his, 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 his descent and then his, his rise uh, to me, it kind of, it seemed it seemed more almost like a graphic novel move or a comic book move. You know, the idea of this parallel plot running in congruency with, with the, 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 the proper plot of the show. But yeah, I, I, I remember the audio logs just being a, a real opportunity to 
get inside this guy's head and sort of see where he's at and, and, and endear you to him. So you're not too frustrated with him when he sort of uh, makes a mess of things. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think with uh, those flashbacks, I mean, one of the, one of the things that I think was a goal and kind of an unspoken goal for us while we were writing the show was that, you know, we used the first episode to sort of get, get to know like our main core of uh you know the underdogs um but with this we wanted to introduce a villain who wasn't really a villain and we wanted that to sort of be an ongoing theme through this show which was that you know every time we have a villain we're going to take the time for you to sort of understand where they're coming from uh and empathize with them and i think that victor was the ultimate version of that where he's literally you know, starts off as a, uh, uh, you know, kind of a grumpy, uh, uh, put upon, uh, sort of Tom, you know, he, he's like Tommy Lee Jones and Steve Rogers and Captain America combined. Into <laughs> right. <whatever>. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, and then, you know, he makes a dumb choice, becomes a villain is saved by our heroes and then becomes part of the team. Um, and we wanted that sort of big open armed, uh, you know, where our emotions on our sleeve kind of look at these villains where it's like, you know, yeah, all this crazy stuff happens. But our our, you know, Geek by Night, McKinney City takes place in, I'd like to think, our world to a certain extent um, in so much as like I, I think that there's a lot of complicated things with um, with people making bad decisions. And sometimes like I I just think that we don't. We like to dismiss people very easily once they've made a bad decision. And I want the, I wanted to have a show where we show these characters what led to the bad decisions that they make and, you know, pull them back from it um, or at least have characters attempt to. Not everybody does. The eye is never going to turn back. But <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm sure we'll talk about him later on. But, um, you know, uh, Victor definitely would because he's a really good guy deep down, not even that deep down. And I think that Jay's performance in this episode really cements exactly what I wanted that character to be, what what Nick and I had envisioned this character to be, which was, uh, like Nick said, uh, <laughs> uh, Steve Rogers and Tommy Lee Jones in Captain America. <laughs> uh, so, Jay, let's talk about Victor. Uh, sure. How did you come to be involved with the show? What was the audition process like? And, uh, yeah, let's start with that. Wow. So uh, completely accidentally, kind of. Um, <laughs> uh, Scott and I had a mutual friend on Facebook, actually, and I saw him put a post up that said, hey, my friend is auditioning people for uh, this this audio program. And I was like, oh, yeah, what the hell? Why not? I haven't acted in ages. I'll give it a try. I've always wanted to be a voice actor. We'll see what happens. And I think I auditioned for Gibson or Jeff. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I got a, an email back from Scott, I think the next day that said, hey, uh, we, we, we have someone else in mind for that role, but could you read for Victor? Uh, think of it like Steve Rogers and Captain America, you know, kid from Brooklyn go. That was, that was my direction. I was like, all right, I'm not going to nail this. That is way out of, out of my wheelhouse. Uh, and I just, the more I read about him and after I got cast, I just, I really fell in love with Victor. Uh, he's, he shares a name with my kid accidentally, which was kind of cool. Um, so it, 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 it really just made me want to, to do as good as I could with a character and coming into it with a cast that we have, I was nervous. <laughs> um, I hadn't acted in 15 years at the time. Uh, so yeah, was, I was kind of scared to death that I was going to screw everything up and, and be uh, recast immediately after the first table read. Uh, but luckily uh, there was someone on our cast named Naomi who had just such great energy and made it so easy to fall into the role of Victor. Uh, like that. I, I, she, I think she posted something on Facebook the other day about how, how, how did we meet? Um, and she really reignited my love of acting because it was so easy to just play off of her and the way that she just, she embodied Lorelai and it made me want to do that for Victor too. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, shift gears to talking about uh Lorelai and you Naomi uh what was the audition process like for you and um what are your thoughts on Lorelai as a character 
Um, well, my audition was very much deliberate. Um, I had just finished at school in New York. So I was still living in Brooklyn at the time. It was, <laughs> I actually looked up my emails today. Um, it's five years ago from April 2nd that I sent my first email. <laughs> five years, guys. I've lived uh... in three countries in that time <laughs> i would like to take this time to formally apologize to all of our listeners for the show taking so long to come out <laughs> but, um, yeah so I, I was in brooklyn um i only had a certain amount of time before i had to leave the country and i was like all right i'm gonna find all the auditions i can for anything that sounds interesting i'm a nerd y'all know this by now um so when i saw the breakdown for this i was like yeah i'll go for that there was two characters one was um i know her name i was literally listening to the episode mindy today. gwen no no it was it was um the reporter <laughs> oh, Veronica Bell now. it was like a yeah yeah it was her and lorelei swift and lorelei's breakdown it, it just said british it like it didn't say <laughs> what accent so i sent mm-hmm. in i think three different versions Mm-hmm. one which was a posh me one which was just me and one which was scottish just for fun um <laughs> and then i get an email back being like hey yeah uh, could you do that but like um was it more of, more of an adhd quality or some, something along those lines mm-hmm. just like faster and i'm like all right cool and then when they they offered me the part they didn't actually say in the email which version they wanted so i had to ask because you know and don't worry it was the difficult one (laughs) so whose decision was it to go with the scottish accent for lorelei in a way it was Uh, in a way it was naomi's i mean we we i remember us leaving it vague sort of like well like what what a fun thing to give to an actor to ask them to make a choice and to kind of bring out some of their creativity and as soon as we heard the Scottish one, I mean, we were states apart, but, you know, we, you can kind of feel Scott and I looking at each other being like, I think that was, I think that's her. And yeah. from then on, it just, you know, it became her, her, it became inseparable. It became just part of the character very, very quickly. Well, and what's interesting, too, about Lorelai Swift is she's a character that has been in my head for a while because she was always intended to be introduced in season two of Geek by Night, like the original show, the one, the version, the, the, the season of the show that never got made. Um, and uh, so in a lot of ways, reboot is sort of like a summing up of all of the original show. And then status quo is the pilot to the new show. Um, in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and so like reboot was like a love letter to all of the people who listened to that old show. Um, and now here we are and I, I'm like, okay, but now we're going to do something new and I'm going to introduce this character that is, uh, you know, insane and is going to take <laughs> the show in a new direction. Um, and uh, I remember when we were initially talking about how we would write her, we were like, yeah, she's like Miss Frizzle meets the 10th Doctor. Like, that's <laughs> that's w- what she is. And then we get her audition back, and it's like, oh, actually, she's Miss Frizzle meets the 10th Doctor meets Scrooge McDuck. Um, and <laughs> that's who she's become. And no- Naomi, and that's because of Naomi. The Scottish thing was fully on because of Naomi. Um, it was the one that had the most energy of all of her auditions. And uh, it was funny because I think we were almost going to cast someone else. And then she sent in the Scottish accent one. And we were like, no, no, it's her. It's definitely that. That's definitely who it is. Because um, the, the other person that we were thinking about was just doing like a like a British accent. But she had the energy and we had like an idea that like mm, I, we just had a feeling that Naomi was the right choice. But she wasn't doing what we wanted in that original audition. And that's when we sent her the thing, like more ADHD. Cause like we didn't want to be, we didn't want to just like pitch the character to her, like the way that I just did with the, with the 10th Doctor and Miss Frizzle. Um, but, uh, you know, we wanted that ADHD quality to her where it was like she's so smart that she just can't, her brain can't stop working. 
Um, and we wanted that to come out vocally in her performance. And so we tried to pitch that to her and then she sent us the new audition and we were like, oh yeah, forget this other person. It's Naomi a hundred percent. And that manic Sorry. energy is really great to listen to, especially bouncing off somebody like Simon or Victor, who's uh, more grounded and deliberate. But I think my favorite Naomi episode actually comes very early on uh, when Naomi is in, or when um, Lorelai is in Victor's apartment and is singing. Uh, obviously, she is singing uh, <laughs> Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship. And uh, in the script, it says that Lorelai was humming. But when we first hear her in this episode, she is singing. So I would love to know what changed in order for us to get this amazing moment. That's that is a hundred percent Naomi. Hello, doggo. Um, yeah, I think I sent some. I think I sent some humming ones too, and then I was like, "Eh, why not?" Yeah, I think that's the entire thought process. <laughs> yeah uh, not, not not much of a story but when she sent it in i think she sent it in as more of like a joke like oh this will be like a fun thing they can put on the blooper reel and then we put it on the show here's the thing that happens a lot on this show <laughs> these these actors keep doing purposeful bloopers and then i'm like ah joke's on you i'm putting it in the yeah, show <laughs> uh, uh chris o'connor's uh uh, Michael Chavon, 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 whatever is uh, is is a hundred percent Chris O'Connor, but it you know kind of going back to I just I really wanted to create the vibe of this is the first time I ever directed one of these things, and I remember like wanting it to feel like oh yeah that would happen in real life where you would and it just feels natural it feel it, it just kind of a little spike change or a key change. Yeah, I remember when Nick was directing this he sent me a message and was like when he got to that that breakfast scene he sent me a message and was like hey i know the script says humming but <laughs> naomi did this thing where she's singing starship but can you listen to it and see if we can actually can we use can i put this in and then i listened to it and i was like oh yeah no you that uh, screw the humming that's exactly what we need to do <laughs> So, Nick, I would love to hear more about that directing process. You know, what does it look like when you have this huge cast of characters and actors who are, um, you know, with these uh, very substantially sized scripts? Um, what does it actually look like when you're putting that all together? Uh, it looks like me on my couch in Chicago and I have my laptop open and I have uh, I have I have Adobe Audition open and. It's like uh, it's 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 the most fun, chill thing in the world to just open up an audio file and just hear like five Naomi Wongs in a row or like five Jay Malones <laughs> in a row. And then you pick one and you just slowly kind of stack them like dominoes on a table and then you just slowly play them. But I'm a I'm a huge voice acting nerd, so I, I, I love finding YouTube videos of people like in the studio recording audio for cartoons or animated stuff. And so it was, it was really fun getting to slowly piece together a vibe or a mood and, uh, and not, and, and, and then learning like, Oh, like this is my favorite. This is my favorite Naomi line, but I think I'm gonna have to go with this one because it kind of fits the convert or it, it has to feel like a real conversation. It has to feel like you're in the room with them. Mm -hmm. So, it's a really chill process and it, it actually became one of my favorite things to do, which is just slowly piece together uh, an episode line by line and not have to worry about lighting or if someone's hair looked right or continuity and stuff like that and just focus on their voices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The directing process on this show um, is, it just really comes out of how the show is made, which is that like every actor is sort of spread across the world. And so it's hard to direct in like a more um, traditional sense, which is all of your actors are here and they, they do a line and you stop them and you give them direction and then you, they keep going. So we do the table reads. And so the director gets a chance to talk to the actors about their performance there, but then the actors have to go on their own and they record their lines. And we just ask them to do you know, three takes in a row and three different takes, like different, slightly different performances. And then as director, in this case, Nick gets those files back and then gets to choose which take 
he's going to use to build the scene. Um, and then he sends those to me. And then as the editor, I take that and I sort of move them around to make the conversation feel natural. Like they're all in the space together. And I add the sound effects and then Tofty adds the music and then boom, we got an episode. Um, but that's sort of how that process works. So are you looking for um, takes of lines that are close to what you heard in your head when you're writing the episode? Or are you hoping that the actors will kind of find something new in it uh, to put into the episode? Bit of both. You know, you, 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 you have, it can be months since we wrote it and it could, you know, time could pass before time we're actually sitting down and getting ready to direct it. So, you know, you actually, writing the show became a very, a learning process unto itself to which you're like, okay, I know that I'm not going to be able to be in a room with Naomi or Jay and direct them. So I kind of have to put it on the script. I kind of have to put it on the page to where, you know, because, uh, you know, speaking frankly, there have been lines or takes where like, oh, they just didn't do it the way that I wrote it because I couldn't be there to direct them. They didn't get that they're supposed to be out of breath or angry or so you you know you're you're you have to kind of go with the punches and go with the flow and kind of uh create a singular mood or create a singular tone rather than like ah oh, but it's not my way it's supposed to be my way <laughs> you 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 work with what you got because you know these actors have busy lives you're not paying them you're you're lucky you got what you got right now you're not going to be able to get it again so you make it work but if their if their uh, performance is wildly off, sometimes we'll send them a note hey, and be buddy. like, "So this is the purpose of the scene. Yeah. Can you try yeah. this again?" Uh, and then and then they'll 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 usually uh, our our actors uh, being who they are, which is good people, um, will go and uh, uh, find some time to try and re-record that line. Uh, there's also a really cool bit of sound editing that occurs a couple times in this episode where Victor and later the other heroes are digitized and pulled into the grid. Uh, that effect is just awesome. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what went into that and designing that and making it s sound the way it ended up? I'll be totally honest. I don't know how I do any of the sound effects that I do. <laughs> uh, I, I, I just, I think about what I want it to sound like in my head. And then I do a lot of trial and error to get it to sound like, so in the case of that, <clears throat> I knew that I wanted it to sound sort of like um, the moment in the matrix where, uh, hmm. where Neo gets, overcome um, sucked into the yeah. mirror like the mirror gets overcome and it goes into his mouth and you hear that 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 digital like noise so i knew that i wanted to recreate that noise um that that feeling that sound and so i just did a lot of trial and error to try and recreate that the best that i could um i think it turned out okay uh but yeah in general i don't i i don't know like i come up to each I, I like as editor, like I go, I come up to a sound effect and I'm just like, God damn it. Writer Scott. Like, what did you, what were you thinking? Like how sound what effect, the, they, the game gets digitized. What the hell does that sound like? Yeah. <laughs> Interior digital void. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so Naomi, you are a theater actor. What yes. is the, biggest difference between the voice acting involved with making a show like this and your other passion for uh, the stage? Um, there's a lot less eye contact in this one, um, which <laughs> that's not just me trying to be funny. Like it's like legitimate. Like when, when you're in theater, it's completely about feeding off the energy of the other person who you're with physically and who you're working with and you can look straight into their eyes and they look back and you, you, you're, connected that way and so it's easy because you can build on their energy and they build on yours plus the audience as well so it's a different energy um as opposed to you know shouting into a microphone in your mom's house in the attic which is a slightly <laughs> different vibe if i'm honest yeah it is it is though why the table readings i think are an important part of the process because it allows for the actors to sort of like 
vibe on each other you know in a way so that when they go to record their lines they remember what the vibe of that scene was and what it felt like to do it with everybody um and and you know they're they've done a really good job of uh recreating those feelings do you ever get script changes or idea changes that come out of those table reads between the cast Sometimes, because like a lot of times it'll be, you know, it's like that. Uh, is it is it uh, Harrison Ford that said it where it's like, listen, George, you can write this shit, but we can't say it. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so like sometimes sometimes it'll be a situation like that yeah. where uh, we'll have written a line that the actors just like, I, I can't I don't know how to tackle this line of dialogue <laughs> can we please rewrite it um and so then we'll we'll usually rewrite it on the fly and uh and send them the rewrite um before they record their lines but uh typically it's just that i don't i don't think it's a lot of other stuff um i don't know nick if you no. noticed anything other than and then that. you know i uh we're you know we're in the middle of the writing process now for the finale and now that we're I've had these characters, you know, whatever Laurel I was before we met Naomi, I I can't remember now. And now Naomi's voice is in my head when I write Lorelai. Jay's voice is in my head when I'm writing Victor. So I do find myself kind of reading it in my head or out loud sort of as as Lorelai or as Victor kind of hitting delete or like oh no she would actually i think she i can kind of i can't picture her saying this but i can imagine her saying this so mm-hmm. the table reads and and then going back and listening to the episodes or it's invaluable because you i i imagine it's what it's like writing for a television show after a few seasons where you can kind of be like actually i can hear allison hannigan in my head and she would say it like this mm-hmm. you know whatever willow was before now this is who willow is and this is how willow sounds yeah, we had a cheat sheet when we would write the new characters in so much as, you know, when I was writing Lorelai before we cast Naomi, like I was just writing the 10th Doctor. Like that's what I was mm-hmm. doing. Um, and and it wasn't until we got her that we started adding a lot more Scottishisms and things into her <laughs> into her dialogue. Um, Which, by the uh, way, I don't always understand. <laughs> <laughs> um uh and then with uh with victor like we were just writing steve rogers i mean that's um that's what we were doing and then and then of course later on when uh (laughs) when victor uh uh was cast as jay it's like we could add that extra layer of um humor i don't know like what warmth humor there's like a wryness to jay's victor um that is there and uh and we knew that he could pull off things like having uh having a a a, a plot line uh, like a c plot i think in the next episode where he misses eating mm. um oh. <laughs> and we knew that he could handle Victor that episode yeah <laughs> we knew that he could yeah. handle that because we knew we knew jay at that point so yeah uh jay what is it about those um those later victor stories those non-introductory stories that you really like well i think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that i get really comfortable with the character um, you know, just like, you know, they're saying with writing him, you know, the, the longer you play him, the more comfortable you get being in his skin. Um, so being able to, uh, to be a little bit more of me with the character as opposed to, I have to deliver the lines the way they're written. This is how it has to be. Cause I was not comfortable taking chances on delivery in the first episode. Hmm. But when we get to the point where it's the episode of where, where Victor misses eating and, you know, is fantasizing, I think about a meatball sub uh, <laughs> where it's, it's like, now nah, I can get behind that. You know, Jay doesn't miss a meal for one. So it's, it's something that I, I was like, yeah, personally, I can, I can understand where we're coming from on this one. Uh, but it was, it was just really nice to, to, you know, be a little more loose and not be, uh, I guess, be a little more Avengers, Captain America and a little less first Avenger, Captain America. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Where I could a uh, l- little more Whedon and a little less. Uh, uh, God, who wrote the first Avenger? Uh, the uh, Marcus and McFeely. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was it was a little just a looser version of the character. So it was, it was more fun to to slide into. But um, there there's a neat you know kind of two sides with Victor because while while he is a little bit more fun the further we go on there's there's the serious side of him as well because he's. You know, they talk about the key change of the character and it's it's fun with Victor because he's, you know, he's a military guy. He's not used to 
having to deal with what he has to deal with now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just from, you know, the odd coupling of, of being, uh, working so closely with, uh, with Lorelai and then having to babysit the kids, you know, that's, that is not Victor's <laughs> strength. <laughs> what? <laughs> so going back to those table reads between the whole cast, um, as an actor, Jay, what do you get out of those table reads when everybody first comes together on an episode? Well, uh, the main thing I got out of it was learning the characters. You know, when coming into the show a little bit blind and not really knowing uh, the background of everything and wanting to come at it fresh and not having a preconceived notion of what they were going to be, I wanted to get a feel for how the performances were and what the characters are going to be like um, and and getting the energy of the room and and understanding how the show is going to be constructed and how we were going to go about, uh, you know, kind of the, the energy of the scene Um, with voice acting, you know, it's, I, I was a stage actor in high school and Naomi's right. The, the eye contact is key because you can, you can build off the energy someone else is expressing and, and change the delivery just a little bit, just to change a scene completely and voice acting. That's tough. Um, but the table read gives us or gives us that opportunity to to read the room a little bit and and feel that energy and be able to to build the scene kind of organically that way. And as a uh, note to ever- as a note to uh, to our actors, I will say the people who turn in their lines the fastest after a table read tend to have the best performances. <laughs> <laughs> so turn in your lines. What are you on trying time. to say? <laughs> For everyone listening. Yeah. Guilty as charged. Understood. <laughs> so uh, along with Victor and Lorelai's introduction in this episode, we learn more about Elliot. He's very distressed after Gretchen leaving. Hashtag where's Gretchen. But there's also this building mystery around her disappearance. And despite this, he's the one that's able to say just what Victor needs to hear in order for him to gain the strength to separate himself from the Nexus. And this is sort of the center of Elliot's story for the next few episodes. So uh, I guess the question for Scott and Nick, um, why can't Elliot just be happy? Um, <laughs> more seriously, be happy. Though, like, 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 what's the difference between uh, uh, in organizing or writing these more subtle human stories as opposed to the big action-packed plots? You know, they're definitely easier. <laughs> uh when you know when we get into a scene where it's Gwen being like hey bud what's going on can we talk for like five pages i'm like oh hell yeah i could do this (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna need a lot of digitizing on this one i don't know some yeah yeah, go ahead no go ahead you know uh some some characters are just uh bad not i don't want to say better but i i don't know for whatever reason elliot has always sort of resonated with me more as a writer when he is in those kind of melancholy moods, when he is sort of reflective. And I think he's just a very sensitive dude. Just going back, going back, listening to these and then writing the finale. I'm like, Oh, he's just like, he's just kind of a, a, of an empath. He's just really sensitive. And it's, it's really, it's able to, I don't know. Each character sort of draws different stuff out of me. You know, when I'm writing Lorelai, I'm able to kind of find my Lorelai and be like, oh, I can be this way sometimes. And I think Elliot's a really <laughs> effective way for me to channel sort of my more melancholy side and my like, why am I? Should I be happier? Am I happy enough? Should I be? Should I, I'm guilty about being happy. Should, maybe I should just stay sad. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think, you know, as I was talking about earlier about our sort of take on the on the villains, um, we, you know, I think it was just really important to me that these characters be uh, more empathetic than they are, like, punchy. Um, and part of that is because this is an audio show and uh, punchy is boring in an audio show, um, despite what some of our reviews have said. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I, I just I don't have in- any interest in writing a generic superhero show uh, because I don't think that would work in this medium. And so I wanted to make a show about people who had no business becoming superheroes, becoming superheroes, and what that would mean for them, for people like them. Um, And these people who wear their heart on their sleeve and talk about their emotions and, you know, millennials. Um, (laughs) And uh, I wanted to, I I wanted to write a show about that. And um, 
you know, someone who saves the day through talking someone off the ledge rather than uh, saving the day by punching the MacGuffin out of someone's hand Hmm. Um, uh, or not letting them punch the button or whatever. Um, you know, and there's, and there's good stuff with that. Like there's lots of, of, of metaphor that you can mine out of moments like that in those big action, uh, adventure movies, but we can't visualize that stuff as well. And there's only so much I can do in audio, uh, to make like a punching fight scene sound interesting. Um, so, you know, I, I, we, we take another route and we always come into each of these situations and we're like, well, how can we do this in audio? Um, or sometimes the way Nick and I work is that I write a, a really, so we'll talk about the episodes to get together. We'll break it down and then I'll write a really detailed outline and he'll usually take the first draft of it. Um, and, and the reason for that is because he's a madman who can write 60 pages in a day. Um, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, then I take that and I do a rewrite. And what's fun is sometimes he'll get to like an action scene or something with some action in it and, or, or, uh, won't be able to think his way out of a, out of a problem. He's just like, I don't know, Scott, you figure this out. And it'll be, it'll have like some kind of joke in there where he's like, he's like giving me the middle finger and just be like, this is your job, asshole. Um, <laughs> um, and so then I'll have to, I'll have to, uh, uh, figure that out or, or we'll talk through it or whatever and try and figure it out. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're always trying to find the most interesting way to solve a problem in the episode. Uh, in the in this format that we've chosen um and it's hard it's hard sometimes but more often than not the emotional take is usually the better take uh because the action stuff just doesn't work as well in this format and you nick two minutes (laughs) yeah and you and you kind of learn you know you learn like oh like this maybe this would be the most interesting thing to watch but you know like writing writing the show it comes like and then mindy just goes full dawn of justice on these guys and just really clears the room but you're like oh that doesn't that wasn't fun to write because it's just sfx punching sfx kicking sfx flipping but something like uh like the elliot and victor scene can be so compelling to listen to Whereas maybe if you were sitting down and watching it at your at your movie theater, you'd be like, "What are they doing? Why are they? <laughs> why are they talking to Thanos?" <laughs> so uh, we kind of touched on sort of the, the the big steps that are taken in writing an episode, but I I want to talk about some of the more like subtle references or Easter eggs. Um, are there any Easter eggs that you guys want to point out in this episode, or um, maybe like your philosophy around putting those into episodes? You know, it's uh, it's kind of the nature of the show is we get to kind of wear it on our sleeves a little more and kind of be unabashed about it. You know, like there are like, you know, like the scene I mentioned at the beginning where it's like, wow, they're just they're just are quoting Ghostbusters. Uh, uh, There's a scene at the at the beginning where we meet Lorelai and Victor where it is quite literally the scene in Jurassic Park where uh, where Dr. Grant and Dr. Sadler <laughs> meet John Hammond. And like, we were saving that for today, I guarantee it. We're like, no, we can, let's just, they're just going to do that. <laughs> and if they get it, they get it. If they don't, it's cool. It still works. And I think that's our kind of golden rule is we never want the reference to stop the scene or jerk it to a halt. Be like, ah, remember, clerks. But if it flows, then we sort of go with it and try not to be as self-conscious about it as we would be if we were, you know, writing a feature or, or, or doing something that wasn't specifically geek by night. Yeah. I think the, the, the secret sauce to, to geek by night and the references that we make in this is specifically that, you know, we don't want the reference to like, like Nick said, really stand out, but we also want millennials to talk like millennials do. And millennials talk with a lot of movie references and quotes (laughs) and things. And they just, we all just quote things like they've just become part of our own personality. We're the children of Kevin Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And, and so like, you know, it was important to me that like, okay, we're doing a show about geeky friends. This is how geeky friends talk to each other. Uh, And it was important to me to make that real. And I know that these kinds of references can grade on a certain type of listener or a certain type of viewer. Um, But, you know, if they grade on you, it's probably because they're, you know, you're not, 
the type of person who does that. Um, and you might not be a geek. I don't know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I just know from my personal experience, any uh, nerdy uh, geek culture friend I've ever had will just, you know, pull out a reference to, you know, some kind of quote or something uh, all the time. And so I wanted to make that real. I don't want to overuse it. But in a situation like uh, Gibson quoting Ghostbusters, it's like there is no other thing that I would say in that moment. If I was in that exact <laughs> moment, I would 100% quote Ghostbusters. Um, you know, just like if I'm showing someone how to do something at work, I might, I will probably end my, uh, my spiel with saying, and when the light is green, the trap is clean. Um, because <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, it's, I'm like, I'm like half right. And it also, at this point. and it also going DNA. back to, it, it also makes characters like Victor and Lorelai sort of a welcome, like I said, key changed where like, okay, well, I know Victor would never make a Buffy reference or a Ghostbusters reference. And, right. and if, and if you throw one out one, he'd be like, I don't, I don't get what you were saying. And like Lorelai kind of, it, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. They, and they <laughs> occupy these different. So like when they're talking to each other, it's like, oh, cool. We kind of get to do a different flavor, do a different sound than when it's like Gwen, Jeff, Elliot, just one after the other, you know? Mm-hmm. Real friends talk in shortcuts, and uh, we wanted to kind of have like a way of presenting that. You know, we wanted to make their friendship feel real, and uh, you know, movie and TV quotes are, uh, I think, a good way of doing that. Hmm. So, Naomi, um, yes, we have heard uh, Victor described as Captain America in a few of his forms. We've heard Lorelai <laughs> described as. Um, Hammond from Jurassic Park or Miss Frizzle or the 10th Doctor. Um, who do you think about when you are either playing or thinking about Lorelai? Um, well, to be honest, David Tennant was in the forefront of my mind just because he's one of the most Scottish people that I've seen. Because <laughs> um, um, back, oh geez, like 10 years ago, when he was in Much Ado About Nothing with uh, Catherine Tate, I saw that on the West End and the chaotic energy that he had in that show is basically what I try to emulate. Mm. Good answer. <laughs> That's my blue. Who, who would have thought that, that 10 years later he would be playing Scrooge McDuck? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it is pretty crazy. <laughs> Someone else associated with Lorelai earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to go with, uh, Jay and Naomi and Nick and ask you guys a, a question that I like to ask everybody on this show. Um, Geek by Night is a celebration of geekdom and having something that you are very interested in and very passionate about. So I want to hear from each of you. What are you a geek about? Whether that's, uh, you know, what some of the characters are interested in in the show or, um, just something altogether. Uh, let's start with you, Jay. Uh, well, when, when the show, I remember when we recorded it, there was, there's a reference on, uh, the sign for the store that, uh, hero clicks played here on Fridays or something like that. And I was actually recording a hero clicks podcast at the time. <laughs> and I got giddy when I saw that reference. I was so excited. <laughs> uh, nowadays, um, star Wars is my eternal one. Uh, it, it's, I've, I've been since I was born, I think I've been watching star Wars and Indiana Jones films, but star Wars is my universe. That's the thing I've been in love with almost my entire life. Um, but other than that, it's video games. I worked in the industry for about 10 years. Uh, glad to be out of it, but still love the products that are created. Um, so it, it's uh, the entire process, you know, development, design, video games are a passion for me. And in learning, you know, the, the, the efforts that go into a game and the lore behind big games like The Legend of Zelda or Borderlands and stuff like that are, are things that I just fall in love with. And I could talk incessantly about them. And I will, so I'll stop. <laughs> 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 what about you, Naomi? Uh, oh, so many things. Um, see, the first thing, like the, the thing that I wrote in all of my college applications, every single one of my personal statements started with a sentence. When I was eight years old, I wanted to be a Jedi. And I made sure that everyone who I was coming to contact with knew that that's why I wanted to be in this industry <laughs> because I want to be a Jedi Knight one day. Um, so that got me started. I was really into Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis did not enjoy the other one um, just because it didn't feel like Stargate anymore to me personally. Um, recently, I've 
been rewatching slash catching up with uh, Supernatural because that's in its final run up to the end. Um, if they ever let it end, will they ever let Supernatural end? Because they've got two episodes left to film and they've stopped production. So who knows? Um, yeah, looking forward to seeing what those guys do next. Well, I know what Jared's going to do next, but I don't. I want to know what Jensen Ackles is going to do next. I've been a big fan of his since Dark Angel, Smallville. I always wondered why his character did what he did, and then I realized it was because they gave him his own show. <laughs> what about you? Oh man, uh, well, Star Wars as well. I'm 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 currently uh, DMing a uh, a Star Wars Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons campaign with my friends. Uh, so that's that's something about me. So I'm like, I'm, I don't, I, sometimes I'm like, oh right, like uh, other uh, people don't know, like oh well, you know, the Republic was wasn't didn't exist at that point, or or you know, Black Sun hadn't been established yet at this point, so we're not to worry about Black Sun or the, but yeah, uh, uh, big big <laughs> fan of Doctor Who. That's uh, I've, I mean I've been watching it for 15 years now since it started in in 05, and I have through our podcast the doctor's companion i've gone back and watched the uh the old stuff the pertwee stuff and the uh the uh, the hartnell stuff and uh i've grown to really love the mcu and i i I think it sort of it wasn't until it was over that it really hit me like oh wow i actually kind of use those movies a lot in my head when writing and I, i don't think there's been a a meeting with Scott and I that have gone by where we don't reference something involving like the MCU or, or the Marvel movies. And um, yeah. And then just, 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 just movies in general. I, 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 I try to watch every new movie that comes out. Eventually I just watched the Vin Diesel bloodshot movie last night. Uh, <laughs> uh, you it? know, uh, really good Isaac Gonzalez performance. It was, it was good seeing her do something. Uh, Vin Diesel finally found a way to make himself. Th- There's a scene where he just is exploring a gym, and he's just lifting weights, and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> oh I can do it easier." Now. <laughs> what about this one? Yeah, this one's easy too. <laughs> so that was great. Okay then. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that is all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you so much to my guests, uh, Scott, Jay, Naomi, Nick, for joining me today, and thank you to all of you, the fans, the underdogs, for listening today. If you'd like to support the show, please join the Dueling Genre Patreon at Patreon.com/dgp. That's DGP as in Dueling Genre Productions. You can also tell your friends, families, and followers to subscribe to Geek by Night on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for the next round of episodes, the four-part release of The Fandom Menace. Thanks for going Beyond Geek by Night with us, and see you next time. <laughs>